on God before we, before we leave today, because as soon as this service is over, we're having, this is not normal, but we're having a quick business meeting right here in the sanctuary as soon as we're done praying. There'll be a business meeting. Everyone's welcome to stay. It's, it's, it's up to you. But in order to have a voice and a vote in the meeting, you have to be a voting member. Uh, so if you're not, it's too late, but you can see what the business meeting's like, and then you can get in on the next one. Uh, but we'll, it'll, it'll be quick. We're, I understand that meeting's going to stand between you and lunch. And so it's just legally we have to have this meeting real fast to give you some information. So, But how many of you have ever faced a battle where it looks like the odds are stacked against you? Where you're outnumbered, where unless God steps in, your situation is bleak. The Bible's filled with stories like that. And today I want to look at one by the name of a king called Jehoshaphat. Go ahead and say it, Jehoshaphat. You're like, that's hard to say without the mask, nevertheless with the mask. Jehoshaphat. Lord, God, thank you so much, Lord, for what you're going to speak today. Lord Jesus, I pray every heart and mind would be open to receive your word. God, that it would be something that would impact us, stay with us, minister to us, challenge us, encourage us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. This morning, I want to talk about when the battle turned to blessing. When the battle turned to blessing. You know, after the time of King Solomon, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom, which was still called Israel. That's kind of confusing, but that's what happened. And then there was a southern kingdom called Judah. Now, the fourth king of Judah, that southern kingdom, his name was Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat, he trusted the Lord throughout his life, and when he took the throne, he worked to remove almost all the pagan idols and pagan worship in Judah. So what did God do? God blessed Jehoshaphat, and he became rich and powerful, and, and he had allowed his son, though, in the midst of becoming rich and powerful, he allowed his son to marry the daughter of the king of the northern kingdom. That happened a lot of times in Bible days. It would, it would be an alliance, you know, like, hey, we don't want to just take your word, so why don't you, my, my child, will marry your child, and then, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure we keep another safe and watch one another's backs. The problem is, is Jehoshaphat's son married the daughter of Ahab. Now, if you say, well, I don't, who's Ahab? Well, Ahab and King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were some of the most wicked people in the history of humankind. To this day, there's not a lot of, how many ladies do you know named Jezebel? Doesn't now, if your name's Jezebel, God bless you. Welcome to Refuge Church today. But it doesn't happen very often. That name has a lot of negative connotation. And so, uh, and, and this is what the Bible says, though, about Ahab in 1 Kings 16.30. It says, but Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. Oh, that's a great reputation. Not really the type of family I want one of my sons marrying into. And I want him to have good choices, so raise good young ladies, okay? I want you to understand that. No. But nevertheless, Jehoshaphat, king of the southern kingdom, now has a family connection with Ahab, king of the northern kingdom. And, and look at 2 Chronicles 18.1. It says, Jehoshaphat enjoyed great riches and high esteem. He made an alliance with Ahab of Israel, having his son marry Ahab's daughter. 
A few years later, he went to Samaria to visit Ahab. You know, the in-laws getting together. And who prepared a great banquet for him and his officials. They butchered great numbers of sheep, goat, and cattle and for the feast. And then Ahab enticed Jehoshaphat to join forces with him to recover Remoth Gilead. That's a story in itself, one we're not going to cover today. But Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat almost dies in this battle. And guess what? King Ahab actually does die in that battle. Thankfully, though, Jehoshaphat, he makes it home. And so when he gets home, the prophet of God is waiting on Jehoshaphat. And it wasn't to say, how things go. Just wanted to pray a prayer of blessing over you. The prophet of God's waiting there in 2 Chronicles 19. It says, when King Jehoshaphat of Judah arrived safely in Jerusalem, Jehu, the son of Hanani, the, the sire, went out to meet him. And why should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? He asked the king, because of what you've done, the Lord is very angry with you. Prophet meets him at the door. He says, hey, welcome home. Guess what? God is furious with you because you went and joined forces. Jehoshaphat, you've been doing well. You don't team up with Ahab. I don't care if your son is married to his daughter. That is a wicked man. His wife is wicked. You don't belong being any part of them. And so God is now furious with you, Jehoshaphat. So what would Jehoshaphat do? A lot of times when we hear a, a message to us that calls us, you're wrong, you need to do something about it. Humanity, we kind of tend to respond one of maybe three ways. Either we sit in the middle and go, well, we'll see what happens. Or we get angry at the person that's trying to correct us. That doesn't just happen in church with a preacher. That happens on the job when the boss says, uh, you need to pick it up. We can say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm fixing to pick it up. Or you know what, this this boss is terrible, and I want to get a new job. People do that in church, too, sometimes. But, but verse 4, it says, Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, but he went out among the people, traveling from Beersheba down to the hill of country of Ephraim, encouraging the people to return to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Jehoshaphat didn't just repent himself. He got the people of the nation, and he traveled through encouraging all the people, repent, return to God. And, and he traveled through that, and this is the perfect definition of revival. It is a people turning, returning to life. It's, a, it's turning from sin back toward the God of their ancestors. And they had just come from this battle where they had tasted an element of defeat. But now it's time for repentance. It's time for revival. But how many of you know the enemy never rests long? And once again, another battle arises. They just got out of battle, but another one arises. In 2 Chronicles 20, it says after this, the armies, not just an army, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, some of the Menites, Munites, just pretend that I know how to say that word, declared war on Jehoshaphat. And messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, hey, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from the Dead Sea, and they are already at. You guys did great. That, that, they were right there. Another name for that's Engedi. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for his guidance. And he also ordered Judah to start fasting. So people from all over the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem. 
to seek the Lord's help. Now, we don't know why. Why was Jehoshaphat so freaked out? It didn't seem like he was that scared when Ahab's like, hey, join battle with me. And we don't read anything about it. He's like, all right, let's go. Come on. Was he scared now because Ahab was dead and gone? Did he trust the alliance with Ahab more than God? Were his men already wore out and depleted from the last battle that they just finished? Did he, was it because he heard or saw Ahab literally die in battle? And so now he was fearful for his own life? Was he afraid that God was still angry with him and wouldn't be with him in the next battle? What was it? Scripture doesn't say, but there's something Scripture does make clear. In the midst of of trying to get serious about God and turn back toward God, in the midst of aiming to get their attention, the people back and their focus to where it belongs, they faced yet another battle and an attack from multiple enemies, and they were scared out of their mind, and they did not know what to do. Scripture lays that clear. It it, it lays it out. Hey, they just got out of battle. They're freaking out. They don't know what to do. They're scared out of their mind. And I think we can all relate to this at times. When enemies start to surround us, situations of life start to gather around us, and we go, God, I don't know what to do. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do right now. And especially if maybe you're in leadership, or maybe you lead a family, and, 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 or maybe it's someone at work, and people are looking to you for answers. They're looking for you to, to give a to, to, what, what should we be doing right now? What's the answer? And you're going, I don't even know what the answer is. I'm supposed to know what the answer but I don't know. And so sometimes we're trying to get serious about God, and we want to get God back in our, in our lives, in the center of our lives. But what happens? Enemy surrounds, and they begin to face multiple fronts, multiple attacks on multiple fronts. And honestly, just being afraid and not knowing what to do. So how does Jehoshaphat handle it? Verse 3, it goes on. Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news. I love the Bible because it doesn't just paint the picture of victors and we don't get to see the struggles. Man, I would hate, I would, I would hate to read a book that only celebrated the victories and made me always feel this big. This is a book that shows us how we can be human and have struggles but still be victorious. How we can still be overcomers in the, in the midst of dealing with humanity. And so he's terrified by the news. He begs the Lord for guidance. He orders everybody to fast. And so the people came and Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah in the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. So enemies all around. Battles raging. Discouragement and fear are present. And immediately Jehoshaphat responds by doing two things. Did you catch what those two things are? Prayer. And fasting. In the middle of enemies surrounding him, in the middle of uncertainty, in the middle of fear, he says, the first two things that I'm going to do are pray and fast. Pray and fast. Are you in a battle? You fight in fear, discouragement, uncertainty, anxiety? Look immediately to the personal time that you are spending in prayer and fasting. This time of COVID, I, told, I said this, I believe, last week. What's happening right now is the world is forcing the church to change. 
And what's going to happen is the church is either getting closer to God or drifting further away from God. And that's going to happen because as everything is shifting and unstable, we will respond by stepping toward and deeper in God or we're going to drift further away. I want to go deeper. And so Jehoshaphat, he did not just pray and fast, though. Based on his verbiage, I would argue that he also got into the word. Look what he goes on to say in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who's in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty, and no one can stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? Didn't you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? And then look what he says here. He says, your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored, and we can cry out, and you would save us, and you will hear us. And rescue us. Now if you know the Bible real well. That might, that might sound familiar to you. Look back. Rewind before Jehoshaphat. And David's son named Solomon. Built a temple. And he sacrificed all these animals that day, and they offered, they had a great move, and, the, and God's spirit entered that place so strong that the priest couldn't even stand up. And when Solomon goes to bed that night, he begins to pray. Look at the prayers of Solomon in 2 Chronicles 6, 24. He says, if your people Israel are defeated by their enemies because they've sinned against you, if they turn back and acknowledge your name and pray to you here in this temple, then hear from heaven, forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and return them to the land you gave them to their ancestors. If the skies are shut up and there's no rain because your people have sinned against you, if they pray toward this temple and they acknowledge your name and turn from their sins because you have punished them, then, Lord, then, then hear them from heaven. Forgive their sins of your servants, your people, Israel. Teach them to follow your path. Send rain on the land and, have, and, and, and give them to your people your special possession. And look at Solomon goes on in verse 36. If they sin against you, and he says, and who has never sinned? You might become angry with them and let their enemies conquer them and lead them captive to a foreign land far away or near. But in the land of exile, they might turn to you in repentance and pray, we have sinned, we did evil, we acted un uh, wickedly. If they turn to you with their whole heart and soul in the land of their captivity and pray toward the land you gave to their ancestors, toward the city you've chosen, toward this temple that I have built to honor your name, then Lord, hear their prayers and, and, and their petitions from heaven where you live and uphold their cause. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. And shortly thereafter, God responds to Solomon's request. And what does he say? Verse 12, then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as a place for making sacrifices. At times I might shut up the heavens so no rain falls or command the grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then if my people, why? Because God will sometimes allow bad things to happen to get the attention 
generation of his people to begin to pray and to turn toward him in a way they have never done it before. So God does not promise I'm never going to let bad things happen. He says, hey, even when I do this, if my people, it says, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and, 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 and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear, Solomon, you've asked a prayer request and I am hearing it and I'm telling you, Solomon, that I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. I will restore their land. I want a restoration in my land right now. I want the church to begin to pray in a way that we have never prayed before. I want us to humble ourselves in a way that we have never humbled ourselves before. He says, I'll do it. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive. And so Jehoshaphat, he gets up in front of the people and he prays this prayer and says, your people settled here, built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we're faced with calamity such as war and plague and famine, we can come to your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you. You save us and you will hear us and rescue us. There is no doubt that Jehoshaphat was reaching back and saying, Solomon prayed this and it's, it's recorded it's written down that you said this so God I'm here and we're turning back toward you certainly we have messed up we have done some wicked things God and I'm just thankful for that because you know what I'm preaching to a church I don't care if it's your first time you grew up here you've been here longer than me but I'll tell you what that we have all done some wicked things we have all made some horrible choices we have all let some things in our lives that never should have been there but if we as a people will humble ourselves, if we will begin to pray, if we will begin to seek his face, if we will turn from our wicked ways, God is a God that says, I will always meet you where you are. I will come to you. I will wash away your sins. So if you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus, this morning before you leave, we can open up these doors. And there's clean, warm water, and we can baptize you in the precious name of Jesus. Your sins can be washed away. And so Jehoshaphat is following the prayers of lament offered by Solomon. And Jehoshaphat placed so much emphasis on the word. In 2 Chronicles 17, 9, it says, When he became king, they took copies of the book of the law and of the Lord and traveled around through the towns of Judah teaching the people. So much emphasis on the word. So you want to see? Distinct ways, if you're in a battle, feel like you're surrounded by enemies, you're fighting anxiety, you're not sure what to do next, we have a pattern. Fast, pray, and get in the word. He took the word everywhere. Hey, read the law. Go take it among the people. We got to get the word out there. We got to get the book of law out there. People need to know what God has said. Lord, I'm going to reference the word as I begin to pray. You said, Solomon, it was written down, Lord. You said, God, yes, yeah, certainly we're not standing here based on merit, based on you owe us this. God, we are a wicked people. We have messed up up but you said if we will humble ourselves if we will turn toward you you said that you will hear now how are you ever going to begin to pray and say God your word says and you said and I stand on your promises if you don't know the promises 
If we are spending, if we in the last week have spent more hours on Facebook or listening to CNN, MSN, Fox News than we have in the Word of God, then your worldview is going to be shifted in a way that is not holy and good. My news doesn't come from the mainstream media. My news comes from the fact that no matter what the weapon is, I want you to know that I win. Like, I, 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 I read the word, and, and, and I say, well, look what God's word says. If I turn to it, he's got me. I take no thought for the moral. The moral will take care of itself. I, mean, I, I know if I just seek him first, yeah, certainly I might go through some things. It doesn't make a Christian untouchable, but it always puts me in the hands of God. Second Chronicles 20, so the, as all the men, women, and uh, all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children. I'll stop right there. That's a, that's a great scripture right there. I'm walking down, keeping social distance still. That's a great scripture right there. You say, well, why? It's just, it's just it's leading us into the next thing. What? No, 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 that's not leading us next. Let's stop right now. And say, and the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their families. It doesn't say a woman went by herself. Too often that's happening in the United States churches. The women are taking the children to church and the men staying at home. That's not God's plan. God has called a man to lead his family. God has called a man to set the, set the example but it's not just a male-dominated society. Notice the women were there, too, because the women and a man make up a team in a household. The, they, 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 the two become one flesh, not just physically, but spiritually. There's, there, there is one team where a man and a woman team together. But we don't just leave our kids somewhere else and say, hey, guys, behave yourselves. We're going up to the altar to pray. No, 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 no. They gathered not only the men, they got their wives and the children. Why? Because if we're going to the temple, kids, you're coming with me. If we're going to go pray, kids, you're going to be praying right alongside me. If we're about to hear from God, if you will hear from your, from your people, God, speak to us, Lord. You better believe that I want my kids to, to be standing right next to me when God begins to speak and do the miraculous. And so that's exactly what takes place. And so if we want to have a society where we continue to humble ourselves, where we continue to pray, there needs to be a lot more of this. And so, and so they gather around there in verse 14. The Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. By the way, if you ever want to know why the New Testament uses father language, why does it make there sound like there's a co-equal, co-eternal God? Why is there so much father language? It was the language of Scripture. That's why you just read. Like, you could have said, well, I, just, I didn't even know who his great, great, great grandpa was but it was all about lineage so when Jesus steps on the scene and says uh, let me tell you about my father he was trying to tell them because they were saying well aren't you Joseph's son you're just you're just the son of a carpenter he says no 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 my father is some of you know nothing about that was not Jesus trying to establish a triune God that was Jesus using their language to try to make them understand what he was saying because everybody wanted to know who is your father who's your father who's your father all through the bible and so he looks at him and says I and my father are one because Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. And so uh, that's just, that was just a, 
That was just extra. You don't even have to pay extra for that little tidbit of information. So he said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. So this is a spiritual gift. We read about this in, in, in Corinthians. This happens in our services sometimes. The spirit will move on someone, and God speaks through that person. And so this person begins to prophesy. He says, listen, this is what God says. Don't be afraid. Fear is never of God unless you're living outside the will and plan and principles of God, then you know what? There should be fear in me that says, you know what? I don't want to live like this. I want to get back to church. I want to get back to a place of commitment and consecration. But God never says. He doesn't come along and tell his church. You never see him show up to his church, his people, his covenant people, and say, hey, guys, you know what? It's, it was really good that you were afraid today. He says, don't be discouraged by this mighty army. The battle is not yours. It's God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You're going to find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens in the wilderness of Jerel. But you will not even need to fight. You just have to show up to the battle. When you pray, when you fast, when you walk in that way, you know what? When, God, when the battle's God, sometimes you show up to the battle and he takes care of it. He's with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow. The Lord is with you. Why do we get anxious and fearful? Only when we forget. The only time we get anxious and fearful is when we forget that God is in control. I'll say that again because that's good. The only time that we get anxious and fearful about any situation is when we forget that God is in control. And so not only is it fasting and prayer and the word, but folks, those of you who are facing a battle, surrounded by enemies, fear and anxieties in your life, there's one last element to the battle, and I'll wrap up. Second Chronicles 20, 20, it says early the next morning, they did what they said. They, he, okay, they showed up. The army of Judah went to the wilderness of Tekoa, and on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped the people. What? What's he doing? I thought we were supposed to show up to the battle. Why is he stopping us? He said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe the Lord. You're going to be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, the spiritual gifts, right? And you will succeed. And after consulting the people, the king did what? The king appointed singers to walk ahead. Hey, hey Jehoshaphat, dude, you, you, I think you done lost your mind, bro. Like, we're getting ready to go to a battle. It's not time to sing a song. Like, Jehoshaphat, seriously, I'm concerned about you, man. It is not time to begin to sing. We're get, we got sore. We're going. Come on, man. No, 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 stop. If we're about to go into a battle, we already prayed. We already fasted. We already got in the word. We're done. God said, let's go to the battle, and the battle is ours. Nope. Let's stop everything, because I am not walking into any battle without worship. I am not walking into any battle without worship. That's why music is so powerful. That's why I want to be careful about the songs I sing and what I put on my radio. Because I want my worship to glorify God. I want to sing songs to the Lord. I want to begin to worship Him in for His holy splendor. And so worship paves the way for what God wants to do. That's why we don't, we don't, we don't open up a service on Sunday and say, well, let's just go ahead and sing those three songs. Because that's what we need to do, right? I mean, that's tradition. 
sing a couple hymns and then like that's just the way church works. No, no, no. It's way deeper than that. When I begin to sing, I begin to say, God, you are worthy, Lord. I exalt you. I praise your name. And someone's hitting the high sounding cymbals and the stringed instruments. And all of a sudden, God, that you read through the Bible. And that's why Saul's dealing with spirits. Go get David. I need somebody to play some music. And it would soothe the spirits that vexed him. Because when music was began to be played unto God, it would bring a peace that nothing else could bring. There's no doubt that worship didn't just pave way for the battle, but worship brought peace to the warriors. And so if we're saying, well, really, really, I like the word. I'm not really a worshiper. You better become a worshiper. You better figure out how to become a worshiper. Not every worshiper has to twirl and do circles and sing on the praise team or jump up and down or run around the sanctuary. You don't have to do that. But we have all got to find a way to say, God, I'm going to let you know in some way, shape, or form that today you're worthy of my praise. God, you are exalted. If it's going to clap my hands, if it's going to raise my hand, if it's going to jump up and down, if I'm going to go hallelujah and begin to shout, something needs to happen in my demeanor, in my life that lets you know you are worthy. I worship you. I praise your name. I sing a song to you. Well, it's Monday morning. Why are you singing? We only sing in church. No, 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 no. I want to begin to sing to him when I'm in my prayer time on Monday, when I'm in my prayer time on Tuesday. And guess what happens? As God's people begin to worship and they begin to sing, what does the next verse say? It says, at the very moment that they began to sing and give praises, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sire to begin fighting among themselves. You cannot tell me that worship is not crucial and integral and important. Scripture says that they prayed, but victory didn't happen yet. That was preparation. They fasted. Victory didn't happen yet. That was preparation. They got in the word. Victory didn't happen yet. That was preparation but when they put those things together and they began to worship at that exact moment the enemies began to fight themselves not only when you begin to worship will you experience true victory in your life but the enemies who have been surrounding you and causing anxiety in your life it will actually cause confusion in their lives they won't even know who they're supposed to fight because when they uh, surround us and they see the fear and all of a sudden a transition takes place. The transition can't take place, though, until we've prayed and fasted and read the word. Well, that's why some people say, I just have a hard time worshiping through it. It's because you have not been prayed up. It's because you haven't gotten in the word. So you're trying to force something into your life without having the biblical basis for it. So you don't understand the depth and the power. But when you say, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read the word, I'm going to fast. Now's the last chance, and I am going to begin to worship you. All of a sudden, the enemy who was surrounding you goes, what in the world? How in the world are they acting so full of joy and peace and happiness? And it actually, they turn and start fighting each other. But it didn't happen until it was the moment of worship. Victory was not complete till they worshiped God. And then verse 23, the armies of Moab, and our team can come, I'm wrapping up, the armies of Moab and Ammon. They turned against their allies from Mount Seir. They killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived on the lookout point, could you imagine this? 
We prayed, we fasted, we read the word. Oh, we're going to sing. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. Let's go up the mountain. We're going to the battle. I don't know what's going to happen, but God said he's going to give it to us. And they just. All the enemies that I was so afraid about just days before are laying dead on the ground. Because when I began to worship, everything that was surrounding me and causing anxiety in my life, God took care of. Oh, maybe that's what it says. They saw the dead bodies laying on the ground as far as they could see. Uh, Could you, can you picture this? Those are Moabites? Dude, those are the Amalekites. These, what? These are the people that were, this is what was causing fear in my life. God won the victory as they worshiped. Maybe that's why songwriters have been inspired to write. The weapons we use are not bombs and guns, but worship is the way that the battle is won. Maybe that's why the songwriters write, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how we fight my battle. Your worship doesn't just defeat the enemy. It confuses the enemy because the devil and fallen angels cannot understand how humanity in the midst of fear and anxiety surrounded by the enemy can begin to praise and worship in a circumstance. How can they praise and worship in a circumstance that they cannot control? But God is drawn to the praise of his people. When we can begin to praise him, when all is well and perfect and we praise him, great, that's awesome. But when everything is shaking and unstable and, and, and you're just anxious and fearful and you say, my God, I'm fighting fear, I'm not going to hide it. Jehoshaphat didn't try and hide it. I'm scared to death, Lord. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what's going to happen next. But pause, stop it all. I just got done praying. I come off a fast. I just read the word. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to worship you, God. I'm just going to lift you up. All of a sudden, God says, that is what I have been looking for. Now watch. These enemies have surrounded you. You've been freaking out for too long. Watch me now. Watch me. This is not about you and them. This is about me and them. Watch me take care of all your problems, issues, anxiety, and fear. I can, I can, I can just come in and swoop it right out like that. And so as I invite you to stand to your feet, look at the outcome of the battle. You say, well, I don't know what to do. Yes, you do now. How's your prayer life? When's the last time you fasted? Well, I had some blood work done at the, no, no, that was was not a fast. When's the last time you got in the word? When's the last time you truly worshiped? Worship is not standing in a pew reading words off a screen. Worship is a mindset. You don't have to worship the same way as the person in front of you, behind you, beside you. That doesn't happen. You can you can you can bow your knee and worship. You can you can come to an altar and put your and, and, and kneel down and put your hand head on your, your arm and that's worship because we can begin to say, God, my mindset's worship. But you know, scripture talks about clapping hands and raising hands and dancing and jumping and shouting. Scripture says all these things. Well, I'm just a reserved, quiet person. That's fine. 
find a way to worship. Find a way to worship because you know what happens when you do? He doesn't just defeat the enemy. He doesn't just confuse the enemy. But look at verse 25. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, valuables. That they, there, was, there was so much plunder, it took them three days to collect it all. What? Did, did, did I just read that right? They went from a time of anxiety and fear, enemies surrounding them. Did I just read that right? The battle, literally overnight, just the battle just turned to a blessing. And on the fourth day, they gathered in the, the valley of blessing, which got its name that day. Because the people praised and thanked the Lord there, and it's still called the Valley of Blessing today. When did the people thank and praise the Lord there? Was it when they gathered the plunder? Can someone please tell me, when did the people of God praise the Lord? Was it, when, was it the first day of the plunder? The second day of the plunder? Was it the third? No, no, no. They began to thank and praise the Lord before the battle even started. In the midst of anxiety, fear, being outnumbered, enemies surrounding them, not knowing what to do next, they began to worship. And God said, oh, you thought you were going into a battle. But what the enemy intended for a battle, watch, just sit back a minute. God loves to show his power. Watch me turn your battle to a blessing overnight. What you think right now is so big and so huge in your life and so many problems, so many issues, you're so afraid of it, you're so anxious about it. God can turn your battle into a blessing. And when he did that, 2 Chronicles 20, 20 29, 30 says, or 30 says, so Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace for God gave him rest on every side. The enemies just didn't go down. They fought each other. They were confused. There was blessing. There was plunder. But then God said, now I brought you through. And all the fear and anxiety you've been fighting, it's time for peace in your life. On every side. How many of you would like to experience right now, I want the peace of God that passes all understanding. I want to stop living in fear. I want to stop feeling anxiety. I want to stop. Well, then you know what? It's time to say, what's my plan? Don't just say, oh, I want to fast more. What does that mean? Oh, I want to pray more. What does that mean? No, tomorrow, 30 minutes before I leave the house for work, tomorrow I will be praying. Begin to come up with a plan that says, I will pray. I will fast. I will be in the Word, and I will worship. And watch God, what, what He begins to do as He begins to provide peace where there was anxiety and fear and enemies. He begins to provide peace on every side that even when the world's struggling and stressing, you can walk away and go, don't worry, don't worry, God's got this. I'm telling you, God's got this. God has this. So right now, I want to invite you right now to begin to respond to, you know, you got masks on, feel free. Come around the front. You got masks on. If, you want, if you're not comfortable with that, stay in your seat. But I want us to begin right now to say, God, I know you've got this. I know that you've got the battle. I don't need to fear. I don't need to fret. 
God wants to turn your battle into a blessing. He wants to turn your battle into a blessing. See you.